0: This is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. Be they religious or philosophical, human systems of thought seek to discern what is good and what is evil. The Gospel of Matthew dynamites this approach by usurping human power structures and dismantling human ethics, replacing both with God's divine judgment firmly seated outside our control and beyond our understanding. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 23, verses 16 to 22. You're listening to the Bible as Literature. This is Father Mark Bulos,
1: And this is Dr. Richard Benton.
0: And you are listening to episode 364 of the Bible as Literature podcast. This next woe, Richard, is an interesting one because it ties closely to the admonition, do what they say, not what they do, which is a mechanism of the Pauline School that allows the disciple of Jesus Christ— to inhabit their station inside a human system and to deal with any authority as something that pertains ultimately to the authority of God's heavenly throne so that you are not under the authority of the one to whom you submit. It's mind-bending, difficult to understand, highly nuanced, but essential for understanding the difference between the scriptural freedom of Paul's gospel and the freedom that Americans talk about, or the freedom that the Romans used to talk about. What humans perceive as liberty, Scripture perceives as rebellion. And that's why hierarchy and this constant discussion of reference and where you fall in the chain relative to the reference is an important issue in the Gospel of Matthew.
1: You always pertain to somebody. Everyone does, even the individualistic American. When we think we don't pertain to somebody, it just means that we're blind to the one to whom we pertain. And this particular woe is emphasizing this fact that you have to go back to the ultimate reference point. On what basis do you make this claim? Matthew is consistently undermining very basic claims all the way back to chapter one, where Jesus is not the son of David by birth and is the Messiah by adoption into the line of David, but does not come from David. He occupies the throne of David But he is not of David. David is of him, which we talked about a few episodes ago. The reference point is so important. I mean, Father, I was just listening to a commentary this morning about the rebellion happening in Washington, D.C. You get rid of one leader and you still got 120 people who are saying the exact same thing as him. So what she was saying is that, you know, if you actually want to get rid of this problem, you can't get rid of the guy. You got to get rid of the teaching she understood. Now, interestingly, she was Turkish. She was not American. (laughs) So she understood hierarchy and who pertains to what and what teaching is really underlying things. The scribes and Pharisees, unfortunately, betray the teaching and making that teaching the reference point. The way that they follow it is supposed to be the reference point for their students, which Jesus has already undermined by saying, Hey, disciples, do what the scribes and Pharisees teach because they sit on the throne of Moses, but don't do like they do because the scribes and the Pharisees are not your reference point, but the teaching that they teach.
0: Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. This is a very clever verse because just as you want to idolize the pharisee you want to idolize the temple he is drawing a parallel here but then he points out again the hypocrisy of the pharisee by saying they don't care about the thing that has a position in the hierarchy they care about the gold whatever the temple's function is in god's command chain And remember, everything in God's command chain is subverted. But whatever its function is, it's not to satisfy the greed of those who profit from the temple cult. Verse 16, once again, is going back to this question of doing business in God's house. Is it really about the gold? Why do you care about an oath against the gold But you're not concerned about the temple, which in principle has a function that pertains to
1: God. No one would ever make an oath to a bar of gold in a bank. By Caesar's gold, I swear, like you wouldn't do that. Evidently, gold outside of the temple and gold inside the temple are different things. So what's the difference? Clearly not the gold. It's the temple. Gold is just gold. The temple makes it into something, even as a pagan... As a pagan, you understand that gold dedicated to a god and gold not dedicated to a god. What happened? The dedication to the god. Jesus is using a commonplace argument. In Spanish, you can swear by the host, by the bread on the altar, the body of Christ. You can't swear by bread. (laughs) You can't swear by wafer. You can only swear by host. Why is that? Because it's the sanctified bread. There's a difference between the bread on the altar and the bread at the supermarket. So what makes the difference? It's the function of the bread, right? So you don't swear by the thing. You know, you and I talk about this. You swear by its function, and the template has a different function. Jesus is pulling apart the thing from its function in order to make this argument because the actions of the scribes and Pharisees are only significant if they function within Scripture. If they don't function within Scripture, it doesn't matter. It's not a reference. Their actions are only functional when they refer to Scripture. The people, they're offering their stuff, and they want to dedicate their stuff, and they want to sanctify the thing that they did. Because where does the gold come from? The gold comes from the people who donate it. The temple's just there. It was built hundreds of years ago. But I donated the gold. And I'm going to swear by that gold that the people, my friends, my compatriots, my family donated. We did something. And I'm going to swear by the thing that we did rather than the thing that was just done, the temple. So now what did I do? I just made me and my actions the reference point, which is the precise problem that Jesus is dealing with in this chapter.
0: It is reminiscent of a point you bring up often about how the priest in Hosea eats the sins of the people. He feeds off of their sins. In this particular cycle that you just described, Rich, by giving importance to the gold— you are massaging the ego of the one who offers it in order to satisfy and satiate your greed in Matthew 23 at the expense of the widow. You fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? And here your point is prescient, Rich, Everybody wants to donate something to church. The classic Minnesota church has a stained glass window with somebody's name on it. That's a complete and total direct and purposeful rejection of verse 17. Because you're saying that your name sanctifies the temple. You're saying your offering beautifies the temple and makes the temple something, when you yourself are nothing. Now, remember, Matthew is not promoting the Pharisee and he is not promoting the temple. He is promoting the heavenly throne. But in order to help you understand the singular authority of the heavenly throne, he has to first show you that you pertain to other authorities and you yourself have no authority. So you have to do what the Pharisee says. You have to remember that you don't honor the temple. It doesn't mean the temple is honorable, nor does it mean that the Pharisee is laudable. This is what's really difficult for people to grasp, especially in the current hyper-politicized, hyper-identity, hyper-ideology universe that Americans inhabit, in which everything is good versus evil, and you want to be on the good side. In Matthew 23, there is no good side. So the fact that he's telling you that he doesn't need your gold and your gold doesn't do anything as an offering does not mean that the temple is good. Just live and dwell with that dissonance. Because if you dismiss what I'm saying, there is a component of the wisdom of scripture that you will never receive because you will cling to this belief that you can identify some good things that you can subscribe to. That's why the temple is such a great metaphor, Rich. Is your debt to the parish council? Is your debt to Peter? Or is your debt to God? The Pharisees in their hypocrisy want your debt to be to them and gold pertains to that because gold is how human beings measure human debt. Does God count in gold? Think about the hypocrisy of the situation. Does God need your money? If you don't realize that God doesn't need your money, you don't understand verse 18.
1: If we think that the temple is a value in and of itself we're going to fall into the same trap of thinking that the gold in the temple is valuable in and of itself jesus keeps backing up to the reference point in this passage and so we have to follow it through if we take this verse out of context sure we can do whatever we want and people have been doing that for centuries but we have to read it in the context because that's what gives it its meaning there which (laughs) there you go the gold gets its meaning because it's in the temple okay well then The next question should be, why is the temple valuable? The temple is not holy in and of itself, but it is what gives the gold its function. To understand the temple, we have to understand how it functions, because obviously if you live in the Roman world at this time— a temple is not necessarily good in and of itself. I mean, a temple could be to the Lord, but a temple could also be to Aphrodite. So obviously, the temple in and of itself is in what's valuable. The reference point has to be the kingdom of heaven. This is what Matthew has been saying through Jesus this entire book. Ultimately, we know that Jesus is going to work towards the kingdom of heaven to make sense of this. How does the gold relate to the kingdom of heaven? How does the temple relate to the kingdom of heaven? How do the scribes and Pharisees' actions relate to the kingdom of heaven? How does the teaching that they teach relate to the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven has to be that teaching.
0: Here you go. And whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the offering on it, he is obligated. This exposes the sin of those who come to the temple to worship. And again, it doubles down on the greed of the Pharisee. The reason the Pharisee cares about the gold, which is analogous to the offering here. Very often, Eucharistic theologians get excited and talk about the offering as being the liturgical communion. That's not the point here. This isn't about Eucharist. This is about the people reveling in the work of their own hands and the Pharisee profiting from it and religion becoming a system of tyranny where people check off tasks that pertain to this world. They give their wealth as one of the items to check off the list of fulfilling their duty, the Pharisee prophets, gets applauded for it, the temple is beautified, and nothing is sanctified. This is where the argument is going. And our listeners are going to laugh at me for saying this, but I'm glad you used the word function, because the temple isn't good or evil. The gold isn't good or evil. The offering that you bring to the temple, your gold, your whatever that you bring, isn't good or evil, in Scripture, and this is really hard for people to hear, there is no good and evil. There is only God's power. Everybody who is honest and knows anything about anything. And this is what separates real thinkers from people who are subject to propaganda. Those who truly understand how life works understand that the one who holds power determines what is good and what is evil, and everybody follows because that's how it goes. That's why in the culture wars everyone is fighting over who's in charge, because everybody wants to decide what is good and what is evil, and whoever dominates and wins and sits on the throne gets to do that. That's why in Scripture there's only one reference for good and evil. It's not a human system of ethics or morality. It's God. And if God causes evil, it looks like evil to you because you don't accept his power. So be careful what you do in the temple with your
1: offering. Because you're thinking of it as your offering. When you offer it, it doesn't pertain to you. You offer it because of the one who sanctifies the temple, because of the one who sanctifies the altar, the one to whom the altar and the temple are dedicated to. That's what makes the difference. This is why Paul talks about meat offered to idols. If you don't think that the gods function, then it doesn't matter which meat you eat. But if you think that the God does function to whom you offer the meat, then you do have to care, and you can't eat the meat. The one who realizes that God's the only one who functions realizes that if you eat or don't eat, it doesn't matter. But out of love for the other, you don't eat. Not because of the meat, but because of how the meat functions for that other person. And in order to teach the true teaching, you have to be sure not to scandalize him for something stupid like, I don't believe, and this sort of thing. Because then you're making an example of yourself. Well, I don't believe it. Therefore, you shouldn't. You just made yourself the reference point. So here, when the gift is what you swear by, again, that's the thing that you're doing whereas the altar is the thing that you brought it to, the thing that was there before you.
0: For those theologians who've spent thousands of hours explaining the importance of the altar table and how this coronates the altar in the religious building, please give me a break. That's like saying the gospel coronates the Roman patrician. You are on a waterfall in Matthew 23 in this particular woe That flows upward instead of downward, meaning you're going up this flow from the bottom up from the irrelevance of your offering to a building that's more important than you to a table that's more important than you. But it doesn't stop at the table. It's not that the table is important. It's that you're not important and the table is more important than you are. We don't stop at the table. That's not the reference point. The water keeps flowing uphill towards the reference point. You have to keep this in mind. You blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? Therefore, whoever swears by the altar swears both by the altar and by everything on it. Everything flows upward, Richard, and there's a pecking order, which we've said over and over again on this podcast, thinking back to our discussion of 1 Corinthians. There's a pecking order, and the pecking order is useful because it keeps everyone in their place, but there's only one power. That's why you have to honor your father and mother. That's why you have to do what the Pharisee tells you to do. That's why you have to do what your wife tells you to do, if she's correct. If she's not correct, then sit down and read 1 Corinthians together and let 1 Corinthians judge who is correct in the relationship. But the point is, the authority that comes from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Father of fathers, sanctifies and gives value to everything in that chain. But if it can give value to the temple... If it can give value to the bloody Pharisee, it can also give value to the Gentile, and therein lies the rub.
1: The altar and the temple are going to sanctify what they sanctify. As you trace back the reference point, that reference point sanctifies everything on the altar. So if you're going to swear, you can't just swear by your thing sitting there on the altar. You swear by everything on there, whether you brought it or not. Maybe your enemy brought it. Maybe a prostitute brought it. Doesn't matter. If it's on the altar, it's up to God what to sanctify. And because it's God that sanctifies it, you swear by the whole thing. You are indebted not to the thing that you did correctly because you're such a good guy. You're indebted to the one who sanctifies the whole thing. Wheat in the field, big deal. But meal as an offering is a big deal. Why? Because I offered it? By no means. Because it's on God's table. That's all that matters.
0: Everything belongs to and pertains to God. So what gives the value is God, not the thing. Where people see this as elevating the altar and elevating the temple, it's actually equalizing the value of the temple the way it equalizes the value of even Caesar, ultimately, while preserving the pecking order. You want it one way or the other, you want to say everything is flat or you want to say that everything is not flat. But with Scripture, everything is flat. However, for you, there is always something above you. So this is good news for the Gentile who's on the outside and bad news for the Pharisee and the temple. That's how you have to hear this. And once the Gentile becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, It's bad news for the Gentile also, because they fall in the trap in Paul's letters of wanting something from the obligation of gold to the temple, and that's where the New Testament
1: begins. This is the dilemma that Peter had in his dream. God, I don't eat anything that's unclean. What I've declared as clean is clean. You think that what you do is the reference point. You think your obedience is the reference point. You think the fact that you follow things in the way you understand them, you think that is the reference point. But in fact, what God commands is the reference point.
0: And whoever swears by the temple swears both by the temple and by him who dwells within it, and whoever swears by heaven swears both by the throne of God and by him who who sits upon it, this explodes open the judgment of this woe that in every breath you take, as Sting says, and every move you make, (laughs) you are under the aegis of the heavenly king. And there's nothing you do that doesn't pertain to him because it all belongs to him. So in this sense, the temple has a functional value just like everything else. And you better be careful because that means that whatever you say or do in the temple, outside the temple, with the gift, without the gift, ultimately goes back to the one power on his throne. And a Roman, again, would understand this because they lived
1: in fear of Caesar's watchful eye. It's Caesar that makes Rome. Rome is not without Caesar. The heavens and the earth are Are not without God. I love how you put this, Father, because what it does is it means that wherever we are doing whatever we do, any action that we want to sanctify, that we want to swear by, the reference point is God. If you're in the temple, you're swearing by the temple and the one who dwells in it. And I love that even the heavens. And any oaths on the heavens are out of our grasp, because it's ultimately God who sits on top of the heavens. If you look in the Hebrew mystical literature of this time, you have the seven heavens, and on the top of the seven heavens, you see God's feet. God' sitting on the eighth heaven and his feet are just happening to be sitting on top of the seventh heaven. <laughs> so God is above the heavens. In Isaiah, God talks about the heavens coming down. God can do what he wants with the heavens. O heavens, take heed. He calls in the heavens as witnesses in his court cases. He does what he wants with the heavens. The heavens are bound to him. He can roll them up like a scroll. He can be done with the heavens when he wants. Even though you think the mountains and the heavens are eternal, you swear by anything and you ultimately must refer to the one who makes them something. They only function within God and God's command. And this goes all the way back to the scribes' and Pharisees' actions. The reference point must be the teaching which gives their action any righteousness or unrighteousness.
0: You want to say that the altar makes things holy and not holy because you want to judge, because there's a possibility for the human being to control what an altar says, so to speak. Matthew is telling you not only is your treasure in the heavens but the one who decides the value of the treasure is beyond the heavens, and the heavens themselves are beyond your grasp. So stop grasping for power. Stop grasping for the right to judge. And understand that from your vantage point, there is one who is holy. There is one who is the Lord. And since you're not him, proceed as though everything is holy because it pertains to him. That changes everything. Everything, and definitely, as you said, Dr. Benton, has everything to do with the admonition against Peter, call no man unclean. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton.
1: Thank you, Father. You've just heard
0: the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening.
1: The Bible as literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.